Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Stacy, and welcome to the Hockey Minds Podcast. This podcast is powered by My Hockey Resource and Instat, the leader in video and data analysis. Instat Hockey supports all levels of our game worldwide with video breakdowns and/or scouting services. For more information, visit Instat on the web at InstatSport.com or on Twitter at Instat Hockey. Today, I'm joined by Mark Seidel, scout with the Barry Colts. Mark has a long history of scouting, having worked in the NHL and working independently under his own brand, North American Central Scouting. Having worked in so many positions and leagues, his knowledge for scouting and evaluating both players and staff members is outstanding, and it's that knowledge that makes his interview such an interesting episode for our listeners. With that, I'm happy to introduce Mark Seidel, scout with the Barry Colts. As hockey minds, we love to watch the game of hockey, whether you're on the bench as a coach, in the stands as a scout, or maybe you're an equipment manager just peeking around the corner of the hall, you love to watch the players do their thing on the ice. Even when we're home, there's nothing better than sitting back on the couch and watching a game of NHL hockey. Well, you know what? Sometimes you gotta switch sports, the game's not on. For me, I like to switch to football, and others feel the same. So pigskin fans, the moment you have all been waiting for all season is right around the corner. And DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55, is bringing back their golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. All you have to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter DraftKings' free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get a free instant prize up to $25,000. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to his players since 2012, so they know a thing or two about big paydays. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. So use promo code THPN now and enter the free $55 million Super Bowl challenge. Only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. Terms, conditions, and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Mark Seidel, Chief Scout with North America Central Scouting and current scout with the Barry Colts. Mark, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks, Ryan. It's an honor to be here. Certainly, uh, with some of the guests you've had, I'm I'm flattered to be on, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I I'm you know likewise. I'm glad to have you on and and join the list of guests. And anytime we can get a scout on who's had the experiences, especially the ones that you've had, 
um, you know, it offers another perspective and I'm sure listeners will agree that it's a, an exciting interview and I'm looking forward to it. So yeah, we do. We'll see. we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Uh, let's start in and, and learn a little bit about yourself. Maybe just talk about uh, you personally, some of your upbringing, where you're from, and then about playing sports, you know, throughout your early years. So I grew up in Northern Ontario, a little town called Espanola, which is about uh, an hour away from Sudbury. Um, and growing up, played all kinds of sports, um, certainly hockey, uh, golf, basketball, tennis, badminton. So a, a real wide array of sports and uh, you know, really enjoyed it. Certainly uh, that was where, you know, certainly like most kids, that's where you find some freedom and happiness without playing sports. So played a lot of sports, uh, took up most of my uh, sort of youth and, and high school years. And uh, you know, I think one of the things about playing in those different sports and different team concepts, it really kind of helped me um, you know, figure out as a young person, you know, as a young guy, what, what works on a team and what doesn't, you know, why, why some of our teams weren't great and other teams were. So, uh, you know, I think I've, I've carried some of that over into scouting as I've gotten older, but having that base as a, as a young guy, it was, it was good. And, and certainly playing that variance of sports was good as well. Yeah. It's uh, you know, it's always interesting. And I say this over and over of, of hearing the, the early experiences in sports and, um, a lot of us get into this industry because of that passion that we get early on, you know, just playing on the backdoor rinks or, or playing with our friends and, and progressing in the sport. And even for people, you know, like myself, who the, the playing career wasn't there, um, there's always an opportunity to get involved in the game. And I think that's, uh, that's something that makes it so great. Yeah. You know, for me as a, as a hockey player, uh, certainly, uh, I wasn't the greatest skater in the world. Um, that was, that was my downfall. I would have stopped me from, from going anywhere in the game, but Certainly, you know, from a young age, grew to love the game. And it was, it was obviously my passion, even though I played those other sports. So, um, you know, like, like you say, like a lot of us, we, we grew up wanting to play or play in the NHL. And ultimately, we figure out that that's not going to happen. So we try to find another way to, to sort of make a living or stay in the game. And, and scouting is certainly one of those ways. Yeah, and, and it really is a grind. And we'll get into kind of the, the different roles that you've been in. So starting off with the first one that I want to talk about, um, you know, in junior A in the north, you're able to start with Espanola and, and talk about that opportunity, being able to work there as director of player personnel and later moving into that GM role. Yeah, Espanola was, uh, it's in the Northern Ontario Junior Hockey League. So as you say, it was Junior A. And, and really, you know, I started my independent scouting in 1991 um, and didn't get in with those guys until seven or eight years later. But for me, it was my first official job in the game, we'll say. Um, you know, and I thought it was, it was obviously very important to be part of a team and be part of building it. So um, you know, that background of the independent scouting helped a lot, but uh, once you get into a team and you're dealing with 17, 18 year old kids and tier two and, and some of those issues, uh, it was great. I mean, it allowed me to first get out on the road scouting, you know, and, and having to try and find a, players that fit a team concept. So, you know, from that standpoint, it was, it was excellent. Like I said, it was my first break in the game and uh, enjoyed it immensely, especially when you're in your hometown, you know, you get to, you get to run the team that you sort of grew up watching a little bit and, uh, so it was, it was a break I got, um, you know, at a reasonably young age and, and tried to make the most of it and, and did pretty well, I thought. Yeah, for sure. I mean, anytime you can get into a management position in any league, it, it speaks to the commitment at that level. And I liked how you talked about, you know, before you were working as an independent scout and, and kind of got in through, uh, you know, working in, in that kind of role. So a lot of people who listen to the podcast might be in the same position. I know I worked uh, independent there for a while as well. So maybe just talk about um, the reasoning for going that route and, and kind of the thing that you've learned uh, from that experience before, you know, eventually moving into the uh, NOJHL. 
Yeah, I think, you know what, when you're a young guy, there's not a lot of people clamoring to hire you, quite frankly, without a background or without, you know, people that you have built relationships with. So, you know, like a lot of young people are these days, and like you said, you did as well. You know, one of the ways is I started North American Central Scouting in 1991. And, uh, you know, from there we started to, you know, mostly me started to, to scout and build reports. And it's a chance to get into rinks. It's a chance to start honing your craft of scouting and, and learning what you're doing. And, um, and really starts to build those relationships you're going to need down the road. But, um, you know, when nobody's willing to hire you, you sort of got to go out and do it on your own. So I started that company. And, and uh, like I said, it gave me the base really that I still carry to this day of, of you know, how to scout and how to, how to do things properly and find players. So, you know, a lot of young people ask me, you know, how do I get into the game or how do I get into professional scouting? And that's, that's one of the things I say, volunteer with, you know, a local junior team, a junior C team, midget team, just tr try and get in. Um, and, and that's certainly what I did. Um, but if you can't, can't get into that, at least then you, uh, you know, you, you run the independent scouting route and, and, you know, then you can start to build some relationships and, and eventually get a job. Yeah. And build that resume in, you know, it's not always the most glamorous positions. And sometimes you got to make a lot of sacrifices on the weekends and, and different things like that. But, you know, when you do finally get into that team position, it, it all makes sense and, and worthwhile, uh, you know, putting in all those hours. Yeah, I think one of the other things I tell young people is that, you know, it's a long road. Um, nothing happens quickly, certainly in, in scouting or in the hockey operations world. Um, so, you, you know, you have to expect, like you say, you're going to put a lot of time and you're going to take money out of your own pocket. Um, it's, it's certainly a commitment you have to make, but if you're willing to make it and really put the time to work in, you know, like you say, even as an independent, um, you know, it can work towards better things for sure. Yeah, I, I agree uh, wholeheartedly with that comment. You know, the next position we'll talk about is your time with the Sudbury Northern Wolves. Uh, maybe just talk about how that experience as a GM differed from your previous one. And just speak about your time uh, in Sudbury uh, overall with that organization. Well, I moved to Sudbury with the, the tier two team. And, you know, quite frankly, it was an easier job. Uh, Sudbury is a bigger market. We have post-secondary schooling here in Sudbury. So um, it was easier to recruit players in Espanola. Being an hour away, it was very difficult to get players and, and field a competitive, competitive team. Um, you know, once I got to Sudbury, certainly you have the schools here. You got a lot more players that are from Sudbury that would rather just stay in their hometown than travel an hour for practice and games. So it actually became a little bit easier. And, you know, I sort of started to understand what was all involved in building a team in Espanola. Um, you know, certainly we had some challenges in terms of finding and recruiting players properly, but in Sudbury I was able to kind of hone that. We got a lot better players, um, you know, got to work with some, some high end young kids in their draft year. Of course, back then you could play in your, in your OHL draft year, you could play junior A. So, you know, at one point we were ranked third in the country and I think we had seven uh, basically minor midgets uh, playing for us. So, you know, we, it allowed us to work with some of the elite players and, uh, and again, sort of build up and, and hone that ability to build a team and understand, you know, what it takes to, to make a successful team and, and the components you need. Yeah, that's always a component that a lot of people maybe don't consider when, when looking at these junior programs and, you know, you get a situation like Subway with Laurentian and like you said, these different um, opportunities, obviously a, a bigger place and a lot of kids staying home uh, instead of wanting to go away to Espanola or, or wherever it may be. And uh, it really does change the dynamic of your job and, and kind of the approach to building a team in that way. And uh, I think you summed it up pretty well there that it is a, a very different experience and, uh, you know, you, you have to learn from it in a different way that you did in that previous role. Yeah. And even from a competitive standpoint, I'm a, a pretty competitive guy. Um, you know, in an Espanola, you get tired of getting beaten down, you know, most nights by some of the powerhouses. And once we got the Sudbury and was able to, to build that team, now we were trying to compete on a national level. So 
you know, obviously we won a bunch more games and, and uh, had a lot more opportunities to, to play at higher levels and stuff. So that was, you know, from if you, you're in a small town and you're trying to compete with those teams, it can wear you down after a while getting beat up on. But once I got to Sudbury and was able to kind of turn the tables and, and be able to competitive, feel the competitive team and, and really that competitiveness was, uh, was satisfied the, in the Sudbury market. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, you know, that competitiveness will project you to future positions. And, and like we can see in your resume, the next one is with the Owen Sound Attack and the OHL. Uh, you would move in there as a director of scouting and, you know, working with those elite players, uh, you kind of got a feel for, for what it took to be an elite player and what it took for these players to be successful at that next level. So maybe just talk about the process of joining Owen Sound and then working as their director of scouting and, you know, pretty much watching these players across Ontario and, and other regions. Yeah, I got, uh, again, you, you need breaks in this game and, uh, you know, certainly my tier two break with one, but to get into the OHL, uh, reasonably quickly, uh, Mike Feuda gave me the chance. I think most hockey fans know of Mike. Uh, he's done some work on Sportsnet and was the assistant GM in LA and was our GM in Owen Sound. And, and Feuda's really opened up the door for me and allowed me to come in just as a regional scout that first year um, and kind of learn the OHL game. Again, as you move up, you've got to adapt and figure out what you're looking for and, and uh, how you're going to do it. So, um, you know, Mike Feuda was the guy that opened that door for me. And in Owen Sound, we had a, just a phenomenal staff. You know, we had a bunch of guys that have gone on and, and worked in the NHL at different levels. I mean, Dave Bell was our assistant coach. Mike Stuthers was our head coach, who's, who's uh, both were in the American League the last couple of years. Kenny Cook went on to scout for Vancouver. Let me think. Chris Byrne scouts for Ottawa now. Ian McClellan scouts for St. Louis now. So, you know, we were blessed. We had a phenomenal staff. Um, so from that standpoint, it was great when you're first getting in the league. Um, you have to have some confidence, but you also need some, some people to kind of help you walk you through it and, and make you feel comfortable. And that staff, there's other guys, Kevin Block, Mark Sylvester, guys that were, uh, they really took me under their wing and really kind of uh, allowed me to learn and, and teach me, you know, kind of what I, uh, what I needed to do at the, at the OHL level. And then after the, I think it was after the first year, uh, Mike named me the head scout or chief scout, um, which was a huge honor. Like I said, those are, those are all guys that have gone on to work in the NHL. So um the role didn't really change that much other than, you know, at the end of the day, it's sort of a year ahead that has to be on a chopping block, but, but feuds and the coaching staff were really involved as well. So even though I got the title, um, it was such a collaborative effort with those guys and we had so much fun and, and, you know, we had some good drafts, but, but really the catalyst in Owen Sound was, was Fuchs drafted Bobby Ryan the year before I got there. Um, and when he drafted Bobby, uh, a lot of people said it was a wasted pick. Bobby Ryan is an American. He's not coming to Owen Sound. And, and Futes in that group really worked hard to convince Bobby to go there. Um, so Bobby was there that first year I got there. And, and from then on, when you're drafting, now you can draft anywhere around North America, because, you know, if you're a player in the States at that point, um, Bobby Ryan went to one sound. So why wouldn't I, or, or players in Ontario? So, so that made it a lot easier. Um, you know, we, uh, we had some good drafts there. Uh, we had some guys that played some NHL and, you know, a whole bunch of OHL games for us, guys like Bobby Sanganetti, Josh Bailey, of course, with the Islanders now was a first round pick. Lane McDermott, time again, we're all guys that you know, went on to NHL careers. But, but really for us at the OHL level, you want guys to move on to the NHL level, but you're trying to build a competitive team and win a Memorial Cup. And, you know, those drafts we had, we really got a lot of players that played a lot of games, both for us or where we ended up moving them for assets. But, um, you know, so again, the credit for that really goes to those guys that I was with because they, uh, they did a lot of the work and, and, you know, we did a collaborative work, but it was, it was, my first four into it. And when you get into that, like I said, you want guys that are going to make you feel comfortable, help you out. And, and those guys were phenomenal. And to this day, I still have relationships with all of them. 
Yeah, I think anytime you look at a, a successful scouting staff, it, it's not so much one guy in charge and other guys feeding in the information. It really is a collaborative effort with, you know, everybody having an equal role and an equal say. And uh, from the names that you listed, you know, I, I knew pretty much all of them, uh, as you mentioned the names there. It's uh, it's pretty impressive that all of those were on the same staff and, and being collaborative. And, you know, like you said, whenever you draft a player of Bobby Ryan's status, you know, at that time, especially, um, it really does change your approach then and and the ability to recruit and all of a sudden Owen Sound is, is you know, a, a powerhouse team and, and uh, a place that, you know, pretty much any player in junior hockey at that time would, would love to go. And uh, we've seen success there as well, you know, over the next couple of years with uh, drafting players and recruiting. And it's it's really great to see. And anytime uh, an OHL team can be in that position, it's, uh, it's positive for the league overall. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, I think, like you say, it's a collaborative effort and it's like any business. You can't have it being top down the boss and then everybody reports to him. I mean, that just doesn't work. And, and Fuchs didn't run it that way. And the coaching staff didn't. And, um, you know, like you say, scouting in the OHL, nobody gets really rich at it. That's for sure. So you got to have guys that enjoy each other's company that are, that want to put the work in. And, and certainly that group, you know, as evidenced by them all moving on to the national hockey league at various points, it certainly did that. And uh, like I said, I was very, very blessed to, to have Fuchs bring me in and, and had to work with those guys for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, looking at opportunities again, you know, the, the hockey industry moves quickly and, and different doors open up. And the next one I want to talk about for you was working with the Erie Otters as an assistant GM, you know, kind of moving out of that scouting role officially. Uh, talk about that role of uh, working as an assistant GM in Erie and maybe give the listeners a little bit of a glimpse in, in what that role entails. Yeah, I, uh, I left Owen Sound to go, <clears throat> excuse me, to go to uh, Erie. Sherry Basson talked me into leaving to go in and be the assistant GM. And uh, we had talked about a succession plan of me taking over as GM within a couple of years. Certainly Sherry wanted to show me the ropes and, you know, no offense to anybody in, in Erie, but it's the biggest regret of my career, quite frankly. Um, great opportunity. And, and again, there were great people in Erie, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, but it ended up being a situation that just didn't fit real well. Uh, the team was rebuilding. Uh, I made some mistakes, quite frankly. Um, you know, as a young person, you're an assistant GM and you, you think you're more important than you are. Um, and, and I look back and I can understand that certainly. Um, so it never really worked as, as good as I'd hoped. I, you know, in hindsight, I wish I'd have stayed no one sound with those guys. Fuchs ended up moving on to the, to the Los Angeles Kings and, you know, who knows what would have happened in, in Owen sound, but you know, you can't look back and, and regret things, but that's sort of one of the things that in hindsight, you know, as you get older, you start to look back and think, man, you know, how would things have been different? But you know, I, I still learned a lot. Sherry is, you know, one of the godfathers of the Ontario Hockey League and had been around for 100 years, um, you know, been through every experience. So he really took me under his wing and, and showed me a lot of the executive side of the game more so than, you know, the scouting was something I'd been doing and, and was pretty familiar with it and comfortable with it. But, you know, the executive side of the game was something and, and running a team is, is a different animal than, than scouting or building the personnel for the team. Uh, you know, as an assistant GM, you really sort of have to be a, a jack of all trades. You know, uh, I did a whole bunch of stuff, obviously the scouting, you know, handle player contracts and uh, dealing with agents is a big part of the assistant GM job. The GM is concerned trying to, trying to build his team and certainly uh, enhance and improve his team. So you got to deal with player contracts and, and filing them with the league. Um, you know, certainly those were getting more complicated as it went on. They weren't as standard as they were in the seventies and eighties. So uh, dealing with agents and, and requests and stuff like that. Uh, immigration is, is a big issue that assistant GMs in the OHL deal with. Again, somebody has to do those jobs that a GM just doesn't have time for. And as an assistant GM, that's your role. Uh, so, you know, whether it be 
handling all the immigration paperwork, whether it be meeting players, you know, at the airport and, and getting them acclimated. Um, there's some, some bill of stuff that we you do as an assistant GM. Um, you know, the player evals of your own team are certainly important as well. Your GMO is just coming to you asking for advice. You know, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of this trade? Or, or if we move this player? So there's all of that stuff that goes into it. It's, it's, it's a really busy job, but as I said, earlier it really gives you sort of a baseline on the executive side of the game and and how to run a team and you know certainly the business aspect can't be overlooked i think uh you know these are multi-million dollar franchises so you know everything weighs into decisions it's not just as easy as saying we're going to trade player a for player b you know there's school contracts that you know might not be equal and, and you have to decide if that's something you want to take on or um so there's a whole bunch that goes into it but as an assistant gm once you get into that position, you sort of are willing to take whatever jobs they give you and, and work at it and do the best you can. And again, in Erie, certainly Sherry helped me and that staff helped me a lot. Um, and I did learn a lot about the executive side of the game for sure. Yeah. And anytime you're in, in junior hockey or really anywhere below the NHL level, you know, you're, you're going to have to take on different roles. And, and like you said, be that jack of all trades. And that's why I love hearing about people in that assistant GM role. It seems like with every team, it's the case that, you're very invested in, in obviously the, the hockey operations and the trades and scouting. Uh, but you also deal with a lot of the contracts and, um, you know, billets and, and then the business side as well. So, you know, yeah. while you said, you know, maybe it wasn't the, the perfect, you know, opportunity that, that you envisioned and maybe you could have went down a different path, you were still able to learn a lot of things and, you know, moving into that next role, you were able to jump into the NHL and, Anytime, uh, you know, you can find yourself in that position, you know, the path before it, maybe, you know, things were done right. So maybe just moving into that NHL role, talk about how you made the league as a scout with Minnesota and uh, just start talking about that role and some of the tasks that you had while you're there as a scout. Yeah, Sherry, again, uh, Sherry was, was great for me personally and professionally and Sherry helped me uh, open to some discussions with the Minnesota Wild at the time. Um, had some interviews, went to Traverse City and interviewed with, with Dougie Risebrow and Tommy Thompson. Uh, Doug was a GM, Tommy was the assistant GM. Um, so I had some interviews, eventually they hired me, signed me to a contract. Uh, you know, I'd really like anybody, whether you're a player or a scout or a coach, once you get to the NHL, it really is a dream come true, certainly. You know, you put in a lot of years and a lot of time and effort to do it, a lot of your own money. Um, so once you get to the NHL, it's kind of like, okay, you know, now I'm in the NHL, it's, it's an unbelievable feeling. You know, our head scout was Guy Lapointe and, you know, a lot of, a lot of your older listeners will obviously remember Guy and the, the impact he had in the Montreal Canadiens and one of the best scouts and wisest men I've ever been around. Uh, you know, he, so again, you know, you look at a mentor and guys that you looked up to and helped you, you know, when I got to the NHL, you're a little bit intimidated. I mean, I certainly don't lack for confidence. Um, I never have, but you still have, you have some second guessing yourself. And, you know, Guy was, was a phenomenal leader in that group. We, again, we had a bunch of good scouts there too, but uh, Guy was that leader. So, you know, when you're working with guys like that, it, it was phenomenal. Um, you know, as for the schedule, uh, you know, my job was to cover Ontario. So really as a, as a regional scout in Ontario, your job is to make sure you know every player in Ontario. Um, so when you walk into a meeting, they can, they can bring up virtually any player and you have something to say, you have an evaluation of them. You have an opinion on them. So, um, you know, that was, that, so there was a lot of travel um, all over, obviously. But again, when you're working in the NHL and, and getting paid, you know, reasonably good money or pretty good money to do it, um, it's a dream come true. So, you know, that's kind of the pinnacle of where I think a lot of young people want to get to is, is working in the National League. And although it's incredibly difficult to, uh, to get there, it's certainly rewarding. 
Um, the other thing about with Minnesota was because I had done the independent NHL scouting, you know, since 91, I've been doing it for 15 years. So it wasn't as big a jump for me to go from the OHL to the NHL because I'd been putting out rankings for 15 years by that point. So, you know, you kind of had an idea as to what you, you need to look for in players, but that's, that's uh, really, a, it's a big step for you. And, and from that standpoint, um, you know, even from a team standpoint, every time you move up a level and certainly to the NHL, the stakes become that much higher. I mean, you know, our job as scouts more so with Minnesota than I was an independent scout at that point was you have to learn everything about the player. You have to learn, talk to their high school teacher, talk to the trainer, talk to their billet, talk to, you know, because teams are investing big money in these kids potentially. And these picks are very, very valuable. So you have to spend a lot of time getting to know everything you can about that kid, good and bad. Um, so it was much more in depth. Obviously that's why there are full-time scouts and, and that's their job. But, you know, going into Minnesota, those guys were, were phenomenal to work with. Um, and like I said, they, you know, Doug Rice, Brown, Gila Point, two Montreal Canadian, you know, Hall of Famers and legends, um, you know, I think was, uh, was so impressive and so much fun to work with. And, and once you get there, you kind of think, man, this is, this is where you want to stay the rest of your life. So, uh, you know, certainly you try it, but the, the, the business of NHL scouting is a very cutthroat business and, and uh, it's hard to stay in uh, necessarily. And, and certainly once uh, we got taken out of Minnesota, then uh, you know, that was the end of it. But you, you have those lessons and, and memories you have for a lifetime. So, you know, I, I don't regret one second of it. It was a phenomenal time for me. Yeah. And, you know, you always can look back and say, OK, now I made the NHL. You know, you fulfilled your goal. And a lot of people, as you said, with scouts, um, you know, that is their goal to be in that position to be able to go across Ontario or whatever their region may be and, and look for players that, you know, in five, ten years down the road can be, a key piece in winning a Stanley cup. So um, it was definitely interesting in hearing how that connection was made. And uh, you know, through your Erie connection, you were able to get in there and have those interviews and go through that experience. And I also like the point you made about, you know, working as an independent scout and how you would have been evaluating, you know, NHL prospects for the NHL for, for some time, but still, you know, getting in there and having your opinion, you know, play a big factor into a decision, which involves a lot of money. It definitely, uh, you know, drives up the intensity and, and and maybe at the same time drives your commitment to making sure that you get every piece of information on those players. You know, and I, yeah, you're exactly right, for sure. It, that did help a lot. And certainly I had worked for Redline before and I'd helped, I was a head scout for ISS. So all those experiences, having scouted and, and put together a list for the NHL helped a lot. You know, just to, to backtrack real quick, I mean, you know, I talk about Erie and I talk about, you know, maybe we regret going there, but the only reason I got the job with Minnesota was because Sherry opened that door. So again, you know, if I hadn't gone to, to Erie, maybe I would have never scouted in the National League and Sherry certainly helped me and opened that door for me. So, you know, like I say, every path, although it might be bumpy, there's certainly some good things that happened. And, and you know, that, that was one of them that ended up coming out of Erie was getting into Minnesota. Yeah, you really don't know where those opportunities are coming. And, uh, you know, you just got to be ready for when that door, like you said, does eventually open. Moving forward, you would do a few more scouting positions and you're now with the Barry Colts and you've been with the Niagara Ice Dogs in between uh, Minnesota and Barry. So maybe just talk about getting back into the OHL with Niagara and then uh, transition into your current position with Barry. Yeah, you know what? I, I got into Niagara. Um, Dave Bell, our old coach and Owen Sound was, was in Niagara with Marty Williamson and uh, they asked me to come and join their staff. And I'm not going to lie to you, Ryan, I love my time in Niagara. Um, we had a phenomenal group. We had a couple guys that didn't necessarily buy into the group concept, but for the most part, we had an unbelievable group. Um, very, very tight, worked well together collaboratively. 
you know, in, in four straight drafts, we got in the first round, we got Ben Jones, we got Akeel Thomas, we got Phil Tomasino and Leighton Moore. Um, so, you know, that's a success track record. You look back and be happy about it. And certainly they're all first rounders and you should have hit on them, but it doesn't happen all the time. And that was from that group. Um, along with those guys, you know, we had a lot of guys that played and, and that's why Niagara was successful, you know, through the late 2010s, 2017, 2018, 2019 with some of those drafts we had. And um, so I really loved my time there. It was, it was a phenomenal time. I, you know, I moved up from being just a regional guy to being a director of player evaluation and player recruiting. So I, again, I had a couple different roles with Niagara that you know, kind of gave me a different aspect. Certainly some of them were tied with the assistant GM job in Erie where, you know, there was recruiting, but um, you know, the guys in Niagara were phenomenal, you know, the ownership and, and Billy and Joey Burke were great to me, Marty and Dave Bell were great. So loved it. Um, after a couple of years, I think four years there, um, decided to move on um, and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, ended up with Barry, as you say. I've only been with Barry for one year. Um, you know, the guys were really welcoming. Uh, they helped me out, uh, you know, certainly I've been around a lot longer. So some of them I've known, you know, around the rinks and stuff like that. Um, you know, good owner, good situation. I've been, I've been fortunate to work for good quality teams and good quality people. The problem with Barry really is that COVID killed our season. You know, we, we started to really get into gear and starting to scout and set up our meetings and get ready for the draft. And, you know, like a lot of people are, everything was just completely stopped because of COVID. So, you know, so certainly it was, it was kind of an, you know, an unfinished year, I guess you'd say. And, and obviously we still had the draft and stuff, but, you know, from, from a team building in terms of the staff and that it really got shut down and you didn't, you know, I haven't seen those guys in person since March. So, so it was unfortunate, but, um, you're certainly looking forward to whenever we do get back to, to continuing with Barry. Um, you know, certainly the loss of Dale was a huge loss for the Barry Colts organization and uh, just a phenomenal man. But he really set the groundwork for that franchise as well, um, you know, with class and character and dignity. And uh, so anytime you can work for, you know, for a guy like that in an organization that he sort of helped build, um, I, I'm very blessed. And, and like I said, what once we get this COVID over and we can start to scout again, I'm, I'm really looking forward to working with those guys again. Yeah. As, as are many people in the hockey industry and uh, you know, just go backtracking to Niagara there, the success that you guys had in those four drafts, you know, you listed four names there and um, from 2016 to pretty much 2020, I was in uh, Niagara as well, attending Brock. So I was able to watch a lot of those guys on a daily basis and, you know, a really successful group. And like you said, good, good people there, you know, Joey Burke, I've been able to meet and, some of those other people that you mentioned as well. So um, it's always great to work with good teams. And then moving into Barry, people that you've known for a while and good ownership as well. It's, uh, you know, it shows that you've been lucky in the way that you've been able to work with these great people. And, um, you know, unfortunately COVID did cut last year short and, and has altered this year. Um, obviously with games not being played to date, but hopefully uh, that, you know, makes its way through and, and then we can get back to uh, getting in the rinks and, and properly scouting the players that, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll be impact, impact OHL players down the road. Yeah. You know, one guy I forgot about in Niagara that I should mention, I think he's been on your podcast is Brendan Curry, um, who in the last couple of years was the assistant GM and a real young guy, again, a Brock grad, just like yourself, um, real bright future in the game and, and was a guy that sort of, we helped take under our wing and, and kind of teach him. So, you know, they're in good hands with that, with that group going forward, but he was another guy that, you know, made it really enjoyable. Uh, you know, he sort of took a lot of the lessons that we told him, but working hard and, um, so he's been part of it and, and, uh, he was, he was a lot of fun to work with as well. Yeah. Brennan's a, he's a hard worker and he was on the podcast, uh, you know, a few episodes back and 
I've been able to meet him through through my Brock days as well. As you mentioned, he's also a, a Brock graduate. So good to see other people stepping in these roles, especially younger in their careers and uh, having an impact early on. For sure. One of those things that I always like, uh, you know, working in minor hockey is promoting players in your region. And I'm from Newfoundland, so I always look to help those players get to the next step. Uh, you know, hopefully someday get to the level of those playing in, you know, the inner Toronto region. And for you, the Northern Ontario region is a part of your where you're scouting and just having those connections. And you're able to work with team NOHA and, and work as a director of hockey operations there for a while. So maybe just talk about, um, you know, that role and kind of your involvement uh, working with players in the North and the ever-growing impact that these players are having as they make their way into the OHL as of late. Yeah, you know what? I, I over the years, uh, you know, certainly I don't have any shortage of opinions and, I, and I've been very critical of the NOHA at different times. And, you know, at some point you have to decide you're either going to be part of the problem or part of the solution. Um, so when, when the opportunity came up that they were looking for somebody to become the director of hockey ops for that team, um, you know, you sort of have to step up and, and do something about it. Otherwise, shut your mouth. So, you know, it, it was it was a great opportunity. Um, I again, I was back to putting together a team. Um, certainly we started in the summer with a summer camp and went all the way through the OHL Gold Cup. Um, so, again, it, that was was really um, probably the most enjoyable part of that was that you got to build your whole staff from trainers on out to coaches to your players to what kind of program we were going to run. Um, how we were going to play, all that kind of stuff in, in consultation with our coaches. So, so again, you know, not since my tier two days that I've been doing that. So I, I kind of missed that. And, and that was a great opportunity. Um, you know, we were fortunate the 2003 birth year in, in Northern Ontario was a very good one. Uh, so we were able to put together a really good team. Um, you know, and, and as far as that team goes, the OHL draft that year, the only team that had more draft picks than us was Don Mills with that powerhouse team. Um, with Shane Wright, Brennan Offman, and those kids, Grant Clark, and those guys. So, you know, we had 13 OHL picks off that team, and you know, it speaks more to the job that the coaches did and the players did. But um, it certainly also speaks to the level of talent that we had and we were able to work with. So, uh, it, it was a great experience. It was it was kind of a one year thing. They asked me to do it for the one year, and I, I stepped in and enjoyed it. Um, you know, from a from an OHL standpoint, it was great to get to know those kids. Um, you know, you you try to get to know these kids as you scout them and, and interview them and meet them, but really spending the year with them, you got to know these kids intimately and understand exactly, you know, what makes them tick, who are good kids and bad kids. So that, you know, as they get into the Ontario Hockey League and decide, you know, certainly in Barry, we use that, that knowledge to this day. You know, when we talk about players from that, that group, whether that's someone we might want to target or, or, you know, whether uh, we want to try to figure out a way to acquire that player or not. So that really helped. Um, and it was, it was, like I said, it was enjoyable. It was a one-year experience, but I really, really enjoyed being able to sort of start from scratch with nothing, build it up, pick the team, pick the staff, and then run it right through the, to the OHL Gold Cup. And, uh, um, you know, like I said, it was, it was a very enjoyable experience, and, and it also sort of fed that desire to want to build a team from, you know, back from the Tier 2 days. Yeah, and just to, to kind of build off of that, uh, in Junior A and in Tier 2, you were able to, like you said, have more hands-on and, and you know, in, in those positions, uh, you know, a step down in, in terms of the league, uh, there's less people on the staff and you're kind of asked to do more things as opposed to OHL. Uh, you know, you had those experiences early on and then made the jump to the OHL. For others that are maybe in the same position working in Tier 2 or whether it's Junior B, Junior C, or like you said, even in minor hockey, how important do you think it is to uh, have those experiences at that level? before moving into a more dominant role in the OHL? Well, I think it's good. You know, I think scouting is, 
really scouting is a skill. And like I tell people, it's, it's just like any other skill. The more you practice it, the better you get. Um, so, you know, when you're able to sort of start out, you jump right to the, the Ontario Hall team, for example, and, and you really don't know what you're talking about. You know, I, I look back in 1991 when I started and I thought I was the smartest guy in the world. And I look back, I still have a lot of those reports and I look back and I think, man, was I brutal. Like didn't have a clue, but, but full of piss and vinegar and smarter than everybody in the world. And I'm going to change the scouting world. And it's like, you know, like I said, it's any skill you have to learn to work with it and, and get better at it. So, you know, if guys can start out in those, you know, even midget teams or, or tier two, junior ABC, something like that, it gives you a chance to, to understand the workings of a team. And, you know, if guys haven't played at a high level, you have to figure out what makes a good team as well. Um, certainly in those, in those lower levels, when you're trying to build that team, you have to figure out what, what components you need to a team. So, um, you know, with regard to that, it was, uh, I think it's important to have that. Certainly nobody's going to turn down an OHL scouting job. You know, Brandon's Curry's a good example. I mean, he jumped right to the Niagara Ice Dogs and has done a great job, but you know, Brandon's a unique character and that he, he asks a lot of questions was always willing to learn and, and do that stuff. So, you know, if you have a chance, certainly you want to jump to the OHL, but certainly I, I think it's very wise to, to get some time in under your belt, um, start to hone the craft and, and work in those lower levels if you can. Yeah. And have as many experiences as you can. And like you said, Brandon, someone that asks a lot of questions and even in those lower levels, you can ask the questions and grow as you go. And, uh, you know, you, you can have a lot of memories as a, as a result. For you, you know, looking at your career and some of the places you've been, uh, a lot of rinks over the last number of years, uh, is there one moment that maybe stands out to you in terms of just something that was memorable, maybe a moment that you knew that scouting was the thing that you should be doing or uh, simply a conversation that you enjoyed with a with a player or another scout? Oh, boy. 29 years, right? That's a long time. Put it this way. I scouted Joe Thornton when he was playing minor hockey. That'll tell you how old I am and how long it's been. So, you know, over 29 years, there's so many memories, uh, you know, got to go to world juniors all over the world, um, you know, in Europe and, and Russia, uh, obviously in North America here. So, you know, those are really, uh, really highlights that you look back and, and, you know, the time you spend at the rink, but, you know, seeing the world and stuff like that was, was a phenomenal experience. Traveling with other scouts, you know, it's a, it's a fraternity, the scouting world, uh, certainly in the national league. Um, and, and you really get to meet guys, you know, some guys have played at high levels that, you know, you used to watch them on TV and all of a sudden now you're in a car, you know, traveling the Czech Republic with them and, and gotten to spend time and get to know those guys. So, you know, I think as far as the story goes, I think one of my favorite stories, I've, I've told it a few other times and I wrote about it one time in hockey news, but, um, it's Jordan Stahl and his father, Henry, um, we were at the under 17, which is again, for young scouts, if you get a chance to go to the under 17 tournament it's a great experience. It's, it's the first chance those kids have to be seen sort of on an international stage. Um, the rinks are generally pretty small rinks, so you can get, you know, up close and, and really get a feel for the game and get involved. So uh, this one was out, uh, out in Alberta, this under 17 with the 88 group with Jordan Stahl. And I always remember it was a semifinal game and, and Ontario was down five, one after the first, I think it was. Um, so I was standing with Darren Ferris, who was, who was Jordan's agent at the time. And Mike Feudo was the director of ops and, you know, we certainly were, were disappointed that Ontario was going to uh, not go to advance. The U.S. Was, was basically hammering them. Um, so starting in the second period, Jordan Stahl took a shift, the first shift, and you could just see he was a different player. Um, slammed his stick when he got back because he missed an, an open net. And you could see that he had that fire in his eyes. So the rest of that game progressed. And I think Jordan had, I think it was three and three uh, over the rest of the game. And I think they beat the Americans eight, seven, maybe a long time ago. Um, but anyway, so they come back and Jordan, I think, finished the night with 
three goals, I think four assists, I think yeah, when it was all said and done. Um, so we get to the MVP portion of it and I'm standing again with Henry Stahl, Jordan's dad, and I'm standing with Darren Ferris, the agent. And so I turned to Darren, both of them. And I said, uh, I'm pretty sure I know who the MVP of this game is going to be. I mean, the, you know, the kid just took it on his back and, and really dominated everybody. Um, so then all of a sudden they announce it and they end up giving the, to the, uh, the MVP for Ontario to the goaltender from Ontario. Cause he came in when it was five, one, I guess. Um, and I was shocked. I was, you know, I Darren, the agent, you know, I think he was kind of, you know, not upset, but he was a little bit miffed about it. And, and uh, I said to Henry, I said, you know, this is ridiculous. I mean, this, I haven't seen performance like that in a long time, you know, and, and Henry said something to me that I'll never forget. And he looked at me and he said, who cares? He said, who cares if he gets an MVP? I think he needs another trophy on his, on his dresser. I don't care if he got the MVP or not. We need to win the game. And I thought at that point, and, and since then, I thought a lot about that story. And, you know, I think hockey parents, if you can imagine in that situation, it's the first chance NHL scouts are in the rink. You know, most hockey parents uh, would be upset about that and losing their mind. And, and I remember thinking at the time, this is a guy that really gets it as the dad. So, you know, the kids are going to get it as well. Um, Cause you know, when Jordan got out of the dressing room that, that game, he would have probably said to his dad, I can't believe I didn't get the MVP. And, and you know, that Henry would have told him, listen, who cares about the MVP? He won the game. We're going on to the finals. Um, so I just, that story has always stuck with me about, um, you know, that's the impact that uh, good parents can have. And, and I always remember that uh, both Darren and I were shocked, but he was exactly right. And I think that's one of the favorite stories I've had uh, over the years, you know, other memories, I think, you know, one of the big things that, you don't get to see, people don't get to see are the, the meetings and, and the, the war rooms. You know, there are some very, very passionate debates, um, heavy duty arguments, guys you consider friends that you're arguing with strenuously trying to fight for your guy. And those are highlights. I mean, you, you go in there, you fight like hell, um, you come out with your list or you come out with your draft and, and uh, you know, you come out as one team. So those are certainly things that I look back and I think of some of those memories and different players we fought over. So that was good. Um, and I got lucky to get into the media world. I, I worked on Hockey Night in Canada on Sirius Radio with Jeff Merrick. I worked on the NHL Treadley line for them. So you know, those are all things that, you know, all because of the scouting, um, you get involved in that kind of stuff. So there's so many memories. Honestly, I could, I could sit for an hour and tell you different memories, different stories. But, uh, but really, it, uh, after 29 years, there's lots to remember. Lots of great people, lots of great experiences, lots of opportunities to see the world. So, you know, if somebody gets into this industry and, and is fortunate enough to, uh, you know, to be able to be successful in it. Uh, it changes your world, changes your life, and, and certainly uh, uh, for the better, for the most part. Going back over some of the things you've said there, it's, uh, it's not always exactly what happens on the ice. You know, a lot of people will say, I remember watching this player and this player. And even in your story uh, with Stahl, it was more so the comment made off the ice and, uh, you know, the meetings in the war rooms and, and those conversations are what really stick with you. And again, that's why I like the game because, hockey operations yes everything translates to the ice uh, in the long run but a lot of the you know the experience really does happen off the ice and and behind closed doors and it's through this podcast that I try to share some of those stories and and bring it to the forefront because you know not everybody's in a position to to make it that position but at least it gives them some inspiration if they do want to fight and grind to uh, to eventually get to that role yeah and I think you know one of the biggest things is that you know, it, this doesn't happen in all other industries, but if you get involved in hockey operations, you're generally going to be surrounded by people that are as passionate about hockey as you are. So you always have that common sort of bond. Uh, you know, if you're an accountant, you might not have a lot in common with the accountant across the hall from you. Nobody's really that passionate about numbers. And so, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things. And, 
you know, people talk about the people in hockey being fantastic. And, you know, there's, there's like anything, there's a bad apple every once in a while, but the vast majority of guys are, are really, really good people that love the game and love to talk the game. And, you know, there's a lot worse ways to make a living in the world than, than watching games evaluate, get paid for it and, and be able to hang out with, with a lot of some of the best people in the world for sure. Yeah, that, that's for sure. Um, you know, every now and then listeners will, will see a guest and, and ask some follow-up questions. And we had a few sent in here uh, in regards to scouting and some of the things you see from a scouting perspective. So maybe starting off, uh, just some questions to throw at you here. How do so many top picks dominate in junior, but maybe don't eventually make that jump and vice versa? Um, you know, why some guys are stars in junior and, and don't make it a national league, I think is a good question. A lot of people have trouble with it. You know, guy puts up 120 points in the, in the Western hockey league and they can't figure out how come he can't put up points in the national league. And, you know, obviously the, 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 the jump in talent is huge. Um, but invariably over the years, I think one of the biggest things is those guys that are stars in junior are lacking something in their game. Um, you know, at the junior level, you don't have to skate as well, for example, as you do at the national hockey league level. You know, I think back to a guy like Corey Locke, uh, who was a junior star in Ottawa and, and put up a ton of points. Uh, I think, you know, Corey's had a great pro career. I think he's only played five or six games in the National League, but he just didn't skate quite well enough. Uh, and he wasn't real, real big. And, you know, this was 15 years ago when, uh, when the game was different. But uh, so I, I think that's one of the biggest issues when you're evaluating junior guys. You have to figure out, does he have all of the traits that can, can progress up to the next level? And there's guys, you know, obviously that's why we have seven rounds and some guys going to first and some guys going to seventh. Um, you know, guys that go into first, you know, we're pretty sure have all those attributes and, and a guy that goes in the fifth, sixth or seventh, you know, might, might lack one or two, but you're hoping they can develop them. So um, certainly junior success is not a guaranteed barometer for NHL success. As you say, it's, it's such a big jump to it. Um, so much goes into it. You, you have to understand when you're in the OHL and or the major junior or the NCAA and you're a star, um, you know, your job, let's say is to score, you're an offensive uh, centerman and your job is to score. Well, chances are over the next four years or five years trying to get to the national league, you're not going to jump into the American league and be on their top six. So you have to learn to play other, other ways and do other things in the game. Um, and, you know, so I think that's hard. Some guys have trouble making that adjustment. You know, the physical side certainly picks up when you get into pro hockey. So there's a bunch of areas that, and that's the, the challenge of scouting for the national hockey league is to look at guys and say, okay, this guy, you know, might not be the best skater. Can he get, get better to the point where he can, uh, uh, where he can compete at the NHL level. You know, I think of uh, back, uh, certainly in my earlier days, John Chichu is a kid that played in Belleville. Um, you know, fans and, and people would recognize as he won the, uh, the Rock Richard Trophy when he played with Joe Thornton in San Jose. John didn't get up and down the ice very well at all. Um, not a pretty skater and, and really fought it. Um, had all the other attributes, pro shot, offensive sense, everything. You know, he slipped into the second round of San Jose because a lot, you know, we, we had to try to figure out whether or not he could make that jump. And, you know, for me, one of the, the attributes as he got to know the situation was how hard this kid would work. Uh, certainly coming from a, a First Nation community in Northern Ontario, a remote community, you realize as you got to know him how hard he would work. And, uh, you know, he was certainly a guy that overcame that. Um, but some guys don't have that work ethic and, and you know, they, they like doing it when it's easy, but it's not, it's not always easy. And it's not easy riding the buses in the American League. So, so I think that's a, a point that, you know, you always have to try to look at and, and that's what makes this business so difficult and why, why would teams make so many mistakes? Uh, you know, it's easy to look back in, the, in hindsight and say, oh, they should have taken this guy or I can't believe they took this guy. But, 
you know, there's a lot of due diligence goes into it, but there's still a lot of mistakes that happen uh, just because they're human beings or they're 17, 18 year old kids. And you're trying to project what they're going to be when they're 23, 24. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I can remember back when I was 17, 18, you know, I, I don't think I was probably the most mature guy in the world. And uh, so you have to try to figure out those things. And, and that's one of the reasons that the junior guys have trouble. The next one, uh, you know, the difference between an AHL top liner and a, and a minor top liner, you know, someone who really succeeds at the AHL in, in top six role or top line role and someone that, you know, is a superstar in the AHL. What are some of the things uh, maybe that you can pinpoint that would make a difference in being one or the other? Well, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that everybody that's a top six guy in the NHL has incredible hockey IQ for the most part. Um, and, and I think that's an attribute that, that I would say gets overlooked, but guys, you know, you can be mesmerized by the way a guy skates and you know, the way he shoots it and stuff like that. But you have to have IQ because the game is so fast at the NHL level. That speed makes decisions have to be made so much quicker than they are even at the American Hockey League level. Um, so I think that's one of the attributes you have. Um, you know, skating is, is a big issue as well. You still have to be able to really skate at the NHL level. Even, even if you're not a burner like some of those guys, you still have to be able to skate and keep up and, and make decisions. So, you know, I, there's a lot of guys over the years that have been top guys in the American Hockey League and had good careers there but couldn't make that jump, you know, whether they didn't think the game well enough or they didn't skate well enough. Um, again, like I said earlier, there's one sort of probably one attribute missing from them. Um, and a lot, again, you know, as I said earlier, one of those guys, those guys that are top scorers in the American Hockey League, they're not going to jump into the NHL as a top six guy, certainly in their first or second year. So they have to learn to play away. They might have to play in the third, fourth line, learn to be, you know, checking forwards. Uh, and some guys don't like to do that. And some guys aren't capable of that. So, there's a lot of uh, things that go in, you know, certainly there's only six guys per team that are in your top six um, from across the world and, and from 15 years of drafting. So they're, they're very coveted spots and, and uh, really it's the elite elite and um, some guys just can't make that jump for sure. Yeah. It, it's such a hard thing to predict. And, you know, as a scout, you do everything you can to define those traits and abilities and, and work with those players and, and player development comes into play then as well. Uh, you know, it's one thing just to get the player to join the team, but then you have to really work with them on a daily basis. So uh, a number of great points there. And, uh, you know, I think it answers the listener questions uh, very well in regards to scouting. You know what? You hit a really, really, really good point, Ryan. And that's player development. You know, one of my frustrations in this business is you'll look at a team and, or you'll look at a player and you'll how does this team draft so poorly? And everything falls back on the scouting staff. Well, I can tell you, there's not a lot of guys that get drafted you know, three, four rounds ahead of where most other teams had them. But the development piece for teams is just as important as the drafting and scouting part. Um, you know, certainly you've seen teams in the last five, 10 years really start to put resources into it. But the effort you put into developing players from an NHL franchise standpoint is huge. Um, so you can have this great athlete that has all the attributes you're looking for, but if you don't develop them and, and keep teaching them again, these are 19, 20, 21 year old kids you're talking about. They still have a lot to learn. And and teams have started to figure it out. You know, some teams like the Leafs have really gone all in on the development aspect and spend a bunch of money. But some teams over the years, historically, you know, their drafts haven't been awful, but their development has been awful. And yet, you know, the GM or the head scout and scouting staffs get blamed for that. And it's, it's not always that, that point. I think the development key is, is something that is, is very, very important and not, not really you know, thought about necessarily by the average fan or people in, in the industry. But uh, if you're going to have success with the, uh, with a player, you have to be able to develop him from when you draft him to when he, you know, when he plays in the National Hockey League. Yeah, development really is so key. And 
you know, as, as well as you do in the scouting, uh, like you said, it, it comes down to development at the end of the day. And it's unfortunate that, you know, scouts and, and, and managers and coaches, you know, maybe get the blame sometimes where, you know, it's really out of their hands in, in terms of control. So moving into the next topic, you know, a lot, a lot of things that you talked about here today, you learn just from talking with people and the people at my hockey resource think the same way their community on discord, which have coaches, scouts, people from all over the world, discussing different topics, um, talking about books that they've read, you know, so many different things that people can learn from. So anyone uh, listening on the podcast today, if you'd like to get involved, check out my hockey resource on Twitter or Instagram. Mark, for you, what are some of your favorite ways to learn outside of interpersonal conversation, whether it be books, articles, podcasts, et cetera? What are some of your favorites? You know what? I try to really uh, absorb all of it. Uh, I like to read. I'm a book guy. I love to read books. Um, you know, I, like a lot of people, you know, I certainly am a hockey fan, so I try to consume as much of that stuff that, you know, whether it be books that come out or podcasts, you know, uh, certainly during the, the, the pandemic here, we've had a lot of time in our hands, you know, video scouting, but a lot more time in our hands. So we've been able to, uh, to really uh, spend time doing that. And, you know, I think it's just a matter of you're trying to learn all the time. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit different than most professions, but you can always learn something. You know, I read Brian Burke's book and, and it's, a, it's a great example. There's certain things in that book that you kind of, I learned. And, and even though we've been in this 29 years, you learn from that stuff. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of leadership books. You know, I, I think going back, ultimately, my, my goal, I think, is to run a team, whether it be major, junior, or, or have a part in playing an NHL team. So leadership books really, uh, really do interest me. Uh, you know, there's John Wooden on leadership was probably my, the most beneficial book I ever had. Um, and then uh, another book, I'm trying to think, uh, driven, I think the author is Daniel Pink, I think, but um, great books to, that talk you about how to motivate people, how to, how to build teams and, and be a leader. Um, the other thing that really, from my standpoint, fascinates me, it's, it's a personal thing, is kind of the Navy SEALs, the military aspect. There's, if a book comes out, you know, based on those guys, and, you know, there's, there's a couple out there with some leadership capabilities and leadership traits, and I love that stuff. It, it just fascinates me. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, you know, books on coaching. I, I always tell a story way back when I first started, George Armstrong, who of course was a captain of the Leafs in 67, uh, is a Sudbury guy and was, was really one of my mentors. Um, you know, I said to him one time we were driving and I said, chief, how do we, uh, you know, I'm not sure I know enough about goaltending. And, and he said to me, he said, uh, well, let me ask you this. And, and George is a real gruff guy, but you know, one of the best human beings on the planet. And he said, let me ask you this stupid. If you don't know something, if you don't know how to fix your car, you don't know how to fix your, your motor, what do you do? And this is, this is, you know, the sort of, internet had just begun, but it wasn't, wasn't going like it is now. And I said, uh, I don't know. He says, well, don't, wouldn't you go to the library? I said, I, I guess so. Yeah. He said, well, if you want to learn about goaltending, go to the library, get some books about goaltending, stupid. Don't be so dumb. And uh, so from then on, you know, at that point I went and got as many goaltending books as I could to try to learn that position to be able to scout it better. But, you know, I mean, Scotty Bowman's book about his coaching, uh, his coaching career, uh, I, I found fascinating. Scotty was certainly an interesting character and and had some different methods, but you can't argue the success. Uh, and I guess uh, the last one is probably uh, another fascination for me. And uh, young people who are looking for books to read. Uh, there's a book on the New Zealand All Blacks rugby team. Um, talks about building a team. Talks about leadership. Talks about character. And um, you know, it, it's another one that I revert back to all the time. And and Dave Bell actually turned me onto that book. And uh, you know, those are kind of some of the ones that I really try to uh, try to look at. But try to consume as much as you can, because you can always learn, as you say, with interpersonal relationships, 
talking to people you learn, but there's a lot of resources out there, certainly with the internet now, most of it's online, if not all of it. So, no, I think if, if you want to, it's like anything, if you want to be a better player, you're out on the, on the outdoor rink, you're outside, you're practicing, you're training. Uh, if you want to be a scout, you're trying to read everything you can get, get your hands anything you can, talk to anybody you possibly can. So, you know, I think it's, it's kind of in that same vein, but uh, you know, certainly I think books are, are an important way to learn. Yeah, so many different ways to learn. And, you know, everybody has a different approach. And sometimes it's a hockey book, sometimes it's the leadership, um, you know, the Navy SEALs, things like that. You can learn so many different ways, but it comes down to your own approach and maybe specifying an area that you maybe need to improve in or you want to get better in. So uh, a lot of great books and, uh, you know, referencing different things there that I think listeners will, will definitely look for in the near future. One of the conversations you talked about there, um, you know, with Armstrong was was about mentorship and, and just a quick lesson that he gave you. And, you know, doing this for a number of years, you're likely to have had a lot of great mentors and people have helped you. So maybe even the people that you've already mentioned, just go over once again, the mentors who have helped you get to where you are today and just talk about a couple of the major lessons that they taught you collectively. Again, good question. Um, you know, I, I think of guys like Mike Feud that we talked earlier about the chance Feud's give it gave me, and it really took me under his wing and, and taught me a lot about it. George is is probably my scouting mentor. Um, he doesn't scout really at all anymore. He's obviously elderly and, and taking care of his, his wife and stuff. But he was a guy, you know. Uh, certainly, I didn't watch him play. I wasn't born when they won the cup. But um, you, you spend time on the road listening to him and, and asking things and. Again, one of the best storytellers of all time, but you're driving from Toronto to Kitchener and you get to listen to George tell stories. You ask about players, why did this guy not succeed and stuff? So George was a phenomenal guy for me that really helped me. And you know, coming from the North, we had that in common. Um, you know, I think a couple of coaches, I, you know, I've mentioned Dave Bell a couple of times, but Dave is, Dave's actually younger than me, but I consider him a mentor. I think, uh, you know, again, not having coached at any really high level at all, um, as a scout, you want to try to get that perspective as well, because when you're drafting players, you want to know what the coaches want. So, so, you know, to Dave and I have got a great relationship, but I still to this day call him and we pick, you know, discuss things and I pick his brain. So, um, you know, what, why isn't this guy working? Why does this happen uh, from a coaching standpoint? Dave's been phenomenal. And then, you know, Marty Williamson in Niagara really uh, uh, we've had a long relationship and now we're in Barry together. You know, Marty's a guy been around a long time and very successful, but I, I think it's important that, that young people, young scouts certainly understand you. It's not just about evaluating a player, what you see in the ice. You have to get these different perspectives. And, you know, I think Dave and Marty are two guys that from a coaching standpoint really helped. Um, from a scouting standpoint, Al Murray, uh, obviously the head scout in Tampa Bay. Uh, Al, I consider Al a friend and a, and a mentor. We've never worked together. Um, but earlier in my career was a guy I could always call or, or see on the road and pick his brain uh, really a really kind man that had a lot of time for, for young guys and certainly for myself. Um, and you see, you know, the success he's had in Tampa Bay. Uh, I'm trying to think Jeff Merrick, I talked a little bit about the media stuff. Mm -hmm. Jeff is a guy that, you, you know, a lot of people see on TV now, but Jeff really helped get me into the media world. Uh, and again, as an interesting take on the game, just, you know, a lot of people you talk to have that, but Jeff's a guy that, you know, we still have a great relationship to this day and was really a mentor and, and uh, probably the last scouting Mentor would be Tim Murray. Um, you know, Tim obviously was the GM in Buffalo and, and had a run in Ottawa and New York, uh, Anaheim, so drafted Corey Perry in Anaheim, in fact. Um, Tim Murray might be one of the top five best scouts I've ever been around. 
uh, a phenomenal evaluator of talent. Uh, we spent a lot of time on the road early when I worked for Minnesota. We spent a lot of time on the road. Um, a different guy, a good guy, but certainly uh, not short of opinions and, and uh, isn't afraid to express them, which is good, which is fine. But uh, a really, really smart evaluator and, uh, you know, did a great job where he went all the way across. And then certainly in Buffalo, uh, you know, as a GM, I don't know if they had as much success as he would have hoped, but um, probably, like I said, one of the top five evaluators. And, you know, like I say, after so many years, there's, there's a lot of guys, but those are probably a few guys that just jumped to mind anyways of guys who've been mentors. And again, for young people, you have to find those mentors. Uh, you don't know everything. Trust me, I'm, I'm 50 years old and doing this 29 years and I still, I still have so much to learn. And, and I think if you can focus on trying to find mentors that you can, you can find and work with and learn from, um, they're huge, not only for teaching you the knowledge base of, of what you're doing, but then again, you start to build those relationships and that networking uh, concept. So, you know, I encourage young people that want to get into this to try to find some people that can act as mentors. Uh, a lot of us have been around a long time. We understand we had mentors at one point in time. And now when, you know, when people come to us and say, hey, can I ask your advice or can I get some help? Where everybody generally is very happy to help. I mean, it's sort of a pay it forward kind of thing. So, um, you know, I think that those are some of the mentors I had, but I, I encourage people to try and seek out their own and, and really utilize them. Yeah, utilizing mentors and, and building those relationships really is a key to anybody growing in this industry. And, you know, w- without people being willing to share their information, I mean, a podcast like this just wouldn't survive. And I've been very fortunate to talk to people like yourself who, you know, having all these experiences, everything from minor hockey to the NHL, are willing to share and, you know, share ideas and some of the lessons that they've learned. It's, uh, you know, it really makes a difference, especially for people who are trying to make that next step and and find their way into the industry. Yeah, you know, I think that's, you're exactly right. I think it's, it's an important part for sure. Yeah. And then leading into the final question perfectly there, uh, if you could go back in time, maybe to yourself, you know, just getting into the industry or somebody who's in a similar position, what's one piece of advice that you would give them in hopes that they would succeed in hockey operations? Well, you hit it on the head. I guess if I look at back at my career and certainly me personally, I think and I tell everybody this, the biggest thing is do not burn bridges um, ever. Don't ever burn bridges with people. Um, as somebody that was young and certainly lacked, didn't lack confidence, um, I burned some bridges along the way and it's really bit me in the ass and, and I have nobody to blame but myself. So, um, you know, you're going to have people you don't necessarily love, you're going to work with or, or work for. Um, but don't ever burn those bridges. This business is all about relationships. Uh, I like to sort of give the analogy that there's no university of hockey. Um, you know, if, again, if we go back to the accountant example, if, if you're an accountant, you've gone to university for your four years, you've passed all your exams, you know, for, to become an accountant and you've got a certificate on your wall that says I'm an accountant. So if somebody questions, do you know what you're doing in accounting? You can point at your diploma and say, uh, there, that shows I'm an accountant. There's no university hockey. So there's no, there's no certificate you can point to to say, I understand what I'm talking about. So really what happens, it becomes relationships. Um, you have to build relationships with people that, that know you and understand that, that you, A, you know what you're doing and you have a passion for the game. So, you know, by not burning bridges, you're going to always keep those relationships. Um, I always tell people, be respectful in your opinions, um, but be strong and believe in yourself. Um, you know, nothing is worse than, than being on a staff and, you, and you, you mention a player to somebody and they say, oh, he's, he's okay, he's not bad, he's pretty good, but he's not great. That doesn't tell you anything. Like that, that tells me you don't want to you know, put your opinion out there. You're trying to play it safe. 
um, and you know, guys from the NHL all the way down to major junior, that that's the worst thing you have, or you'll have a, a you know, a scout say, I think he's a good player. And you'll say, really, I watched him and you know, I, I don't think he's got a lot of upside. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. He, he, I don't think he's that good. I mean, that's not your job as a scout. Your job is to believe in yourself, give your opinion, certainly be respectful of, of you know, people certainly that come before you and are trying to help you, but you have to be strong and believe in yourself, not to the point of being ignorant or obstinate, but you have to believe in yourself. Um, you know, another, another big point that has been helped me be successful is in this business, you're going to be wrong a lot of times. Uh, anybody that thinks you're going to hit 80 or 90% is crazy. Um, but admit when you're wrong. You know, it's one of the biggest pet peeves I have in this industry and that's certainly the independent scouting industry is people never would want to admit when they're wrong. They want to make it sound like they knew every player was going to be great or every player, this player was going to fail. Uh, admit when you're wrong. It builds credibility with people. It's okay to go in and say, you know what? I missed the evaluation on him. You know, uh, Brett Burns, I was working way back uh, with Brett Burns and I think we had him in the sixth round or something. And obviously Brent has turned into a phenomenal player in San Jose, <clears throat> Minnesota and then San Jose. But um and I tell people all the time, I was dead wrong on that evaluation, dead wrong. Um, Nick Suzuki, you know, I, right now with Montreal, he's a guy that, you know, I thought was going to be a, a good player in the league, a piece to a winning team, dead wrong. This guy's going to be a star. He's got a lot more offense than I thought he had. But, but when you admit you're wrong, people, people have a tendency to say, okay, uh, if all you want to tell people is how smart you are and how you knew everything, people pretty soon figure it out. Um, other advice, it's a tough business. It really is a, you know, I mean, if you uh, if you're lucky enough to get a contract, let's say a National Hockey League contract, you're getting a three-year deal. That's it. Um, so if your GM gets fired, your head scout gets fired within those three years, you're probably not getting an extension. You're probably not getting another one. So it's a very cutthroat, difficult business. Um, you, if you're in this business any length of time, you're going to get fired. Uh, it's just the way it is. It's not like going to work in a factory and know you're going to retire in 35 years. There's so much change and upheaval in this game and um, leadership change that you're going to end up losing jobs and getting jobs and, and you have to be thick skinned about it. But uh, at the same time, understand that, you know, again, I've been fired a couple of different times and it's not yeah. a fun feeling when I get fired in Minnesota, uh, when we all did, it was, uh, it was disturbing. And, and certainly, you know, you think, okay, I'm not pretty soon I'm going to take this world by storm and you get fired and you start to look at yourself and think you really know what you're doing, but you sort of have to be thin skinned and pick yourself back up. Um, I guess the last piece of advice I'd say is loyalty. Loyalty in this game is everything. Um, disloyal people fall apart real quick. Um, people get exposed for being disloyal. So, so build relationships that you think are, are really going to help you. Be loyal to them and, and don't burn bridges. I think that's those are the biggest things because uh, eventually at some point in time, there's a guy that won't, can't help you today. In four or five years, he might be in a position to help you. And if you burn that bridge, you're, you're not getting anywhere. If, you, if you've maintained that relationship and, and uh, you know, done the best you can to to be professional about things and chances are somewhere down the road, you can help him and, and somewhere down the road, he'll help you. Yeah. Relationships really are, are the key to success. And uh, you know, a lot of outstanding suggestions there and advice that I think a lot of people will look to apply as they move forward. And, you know, with that, Mark, I just want to thank you again for taking some time today to, to sit down with me and talk on the podcast and share a number of your experiences. Uh, you know, you've had quite the career and, a number of different roles. And I think that, you know, the advice that you provide today will help a lot of people and hopefully COVID is, uh, you know, out of the way soon and we can get back in the rinks and uh, I wish you all the best moving forward. Well, listen, I, I really appreciate the kind words for sure. I, uh, 
I love what you're doing on this podcast. As I said earlier, some of the guests you've had have been phenomenal. Uh, I think it's, it's a great resource for people. Um, you know, I always invite people. If you have questions, I'm always open to emailing me. Um, I'm on Twitter. You can certainly DM me with questions and I get them all the time, but uh, people listen to this podcast, if they have any, certainly they can, they can always try to get a hold of me any way they can. I try to help them out and give them advice, but uh, no, I, I appreciate being on. It's, it's a lot of fun. Anytime you get to talk about the game and, and like I said, as a, a young guy who's got a really bright future like yourself, I'm certainly I'm flattered to be on and, and hope I could offer something to your listeners. Yeah, well, I really appreciate it again and, and take care. All right, thanks. I'd like to thank Mark for coming on the podcast and sharing his knowledge of the game. From start to finish, he gave honest insight and shared stories about many great people in the game, including the late George Armstrong. So for sharing, I'd like to thank him once again. If you would like to get in touch with Mark to learn about his experiences, I encourage you to reach out to him directly, as he encouraged in his interview, or contact Podcast at Outlook.com, and I can help make that connection for you. Next on the podcast, York University women's coach Dan Church will join us to talk about the women's game and his experience coaching some of the top players in the country, so stay tuned for that release. Once again, thank you everyone for listening. And thank you for your support of the podcast. Our following continues to grow rapidly, and we hope to bring new content and more outstanding guests along the way. As always, stay safe, and all the best.